The presenting sponsor for On Education is Classcraft. ISTE is right around the corner and Classcraft has something to share. Stay tuned to the podcast and keep your eyes on Twitter to see how Classcraft is going to once again change the way school is played. To learn more about Classcraft and get started on the road to the most fun you've ever had at school, visit classcraft.com slash oneducation. On Facebook, I'm telling you right now, I've blocked tons of my family members. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to On Education Presents Dig It or Ditch It. This is your source for hot or at the very least lukewarm takes on what's going on in education. We're here today with our BFF, Noah Geisel. Say hi, Noah. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for having me, Mike Glenn. It's awesome to be back with you. All right. Well, we have a lot to to go through, I guess. So let's let's get rolling, man. Let's jump right into it, fellas. It is conference season. We've got Learn ATX coming up where people can go to Austin, see Mr. Washburn. You know, we've got ISTE coming up. Anybody who's been listening to this podcast knows that Badge Summit is coming up. And, you know, it it really, for me, brings up an issue. Voting on conference sessions. Dig it or ditch it, fellas. Ditch it. I'm doing that quick. I I jumped in. I think it becomes a, a, you know, a contest of who has the most Twitter followers and who can, like, activate an amount of people to retweet and share. And, and, and Mm. I mean, I, I guess that's okay because it's an advocacy thing. But, I mean, it's it shouldn't be a popularity contest. And, and we know that um, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately is amplification and, and you know, putting out voices that, that um, don't necessarily have the same um, traction or get the same traction as other, other people. And I, I think that this kind of goes against that, maybe just a little. Um, I, I guess the flip side would be that, that it, could be, it could be an opportunity. But I think that I think I'm ditching I'm ditching voting. Okay, so I am actually digging it because I believe that these sessions, right? These specific sessions, aren't they the ones that are kind of like they didn't actually get in on their own merits usually, right? Um, and so, if I was ISTE or any of these other conferences, I would want to make sure that. It feels like whatever you're actually bringing is going to bring audience members and it's going to be a popular session or whatever it might be. So it's kind of the opposite of what Mike is saying because you want to actually bring a big name or whatever it might be because you're going to actually get attendance to those sessions. If you are not a big name and you propose a session that is valid on its own merits, which there's a lot of those, a lot of no-name people get accepted sessions at these gigantic conferences, which is fantastic. I love that. Then if you didn't have that happen, then yeah, it should be, I don't know, it should be a little bit harder to go ahead and get in because they want to make sure that a session, you know, in these like last bits, you know, they're trying to fill in the last rooms, basically, that there feels like there's going to be attendance to those. So that's my take. Don't you... Don't you think they should just accept them if they're going to accept them, though? I mean, like you said, on their own merits. It's, that, that's kind of the I way actually, it goes. I actually, you know what I think it is, though, Mike? It's a great way of promoting ISTE itself. 
it's like you're getting all these sessions. There's these things. People are actually looking at the descriptions. They're going to their site. It's kind of getting this hype built around it. And that's really, obviously and, what this is and for. And really, that's exactly what it's for. And then plus, whoever actually gets in, you know, they win either way. They got some promotion. And plus, they probably will end up with sessions that will be at least semi-well attended exactly because there are some sessions that even at isti if people have never been to isti that are like barren (laughs) and it's it's sad (laughs) it's sad but there are (laughs) some and then there's some that there are just people out in the halls and they're all ticked off because they they can't actually get into the session itself so there's like really a big dichotomy between two i think they're trying to make sure that they can fill those rooms with a name you know or with someone that at least feels it feels like they have some sort of momentum a critical mass of acceptance. <laughs> do you know, I, I think one thing I do want to jump in on that, Glenn, is, is, you know, as a conference organizer, you definitely want to have packed rooms. And I would say, you know, that as somebody who's been a session, you know, presenter with three people in a big room, um, it still can be really powerful learning that happens. And for any listeners who are out there who are worried about how many people come, you know, maybe give yourself permission to focus less on the quantity of how many people are in the room and more on the quality of the conversations that emerge because some of the best sessions I've ever been to are ones where, you know what, this was designed for a bigger crowd. We're going to change this. We're going to all going to sit in a circle and talk and and some really powerful learning can happen. And Glenn, I'm going to admit you, you've changed my hot take to a lukewarm take because I was going to be on mic and ditch this for the very same reasons that Mike said that, that it becomes less about the merit and more about the popularity of the presenter who's trying to get a session accepted. Yeah. And for me, you know, if, I would more be a dig it if it was only open to people who were actually registered to attend the conference. Mm. Then, you know, then the popularity, I think, matters. But, Glenn, again, you have completely convinced me that on the conference (laughs) side, the motivation is less about, you know, these handful of sessions that get in out of the hundreds. It's more about promoting the conference. That's a really brilliant uh, take, I think. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) Sometimes they come to me. Fellas, next up, let's talk about rip from the headlines. Dig it or ditch it. Adversity score on the SAT. Oh, yeah. We actually brought this up on the podcast. I think. Oh, no, we were going to. Actually, it was one of our topics and we decided not to talk about it. Decided not to go there. (laughs) And Noah makes us go there. Uh, the adversity score on the on the SAT, right? It's not the ACT. It's the SAT. Exactly. I am going to ditch it. And here's here's my reasoning for it. I have no idea how they can correctly calculate uh, this adversity score. And number two, how easy is it to play this score then to basically distort it? You really aren't someone that's living in an adverse situation and adverse environment, whatever it might be economically or however they decide to, you know, to be able to adjust the scores. But how easy is it for someone to change a zip code, a a move four blocks in a direction? We know that in big cities like you live in, Noah, it's pretty easy to move from Cherry Creek neighborhood and then move into something else that where you might uh, then, you know, receive some sort of uh, adjustment to your score. And people do that. We know that because we've seen it in the headlines throughout this past year uh, with all of the cheating that's been going on. So I say ditch that. What about you, I'm Mike? Ditching, I'm ditching it, and I'm ditching the SAT. Um, but hey, 
here's the thing that bothers me, and Glenn has sort of brought it up, but how about the people that move four blocks away into a, a little bit better neighborhood, but they're still in a absolutely garbage family life situation, have terrible situations at home or at at um, even at the at another school, uh, or you know, have other things going on in their lives. Have they instantly been made better by moving a couple blocks away, and that affects their score? I mean, no is the obvious answer t- to this. Um, so, you know, it's such a complicated thing to measure. It's almost impossible. Like, I get it. I get what they're trying to do and and kind of level this playing field a little bit. But it seems like just something that a test shouldn't be measuring. I am going to go against you guys on this one and say I dig it. Okay. Yes. And, you know, I I don't necessarily disagree with any of the points you're making. I'm going to go ahead and dig it because of the conversation that we're now having. Mm. I think that there are a lot of conversations happening across America right now. And uh, apparently Mm. in Canada as well, Mike, where, you know, it's forcing people to maybe hear about and learn about things that are outside of their own experiences. And so whether or not this ends up being something that um, levels a playing field that increases opportunity, access, equity, you know, remains to be seen. I think the powerful thing that it is doing and the reason I'm going to go ahead and dig it is because it's forcing some of these conversations. Mm, really good point there, Noah. I actually I love, love that. <laughs> you, you may have changed my mind. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I, listen, uh, go, I, we're <laughs> lukewarm all over the place on this dig it or ditch it. Listen, the reality is that anything that generates important conversations like this is is good. Uh, even if it's something you don't necessarily agree with, uh, I think that the conversation is super important to have. And we're not having a lot of those conversations enough. And this is a hard thing to talk about but it's super important to have the conversation. So I, I love that take. You know, I, I, I think this tails into another dig it or ditch that I had for you guys that was going to be in a future episode, but let's go there. Sticking with Rip from the Headlines. All right. Um, so let, let me start off with a question. Did, did you guys read about, do you remember the story maybe a little over a year ago about the AI engineering experiment at Facebook where the two compute, the AI started talking to each other and making up their own language Mm. and the engineers had to unplug it because, you know, they were all of a sudden, you know, trying to do stuff without the humans knowing about it. Do you remember that story? (laughs) Oh boy. No, I but don't, it sounds, it sounds yeah, terrifying. Yeah, I don't. I didn't hear about <laughs> terrifying that. Terrifying and amazing. It sounds really at the same creepy. Time. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm. I, I, this was when it came out. At least in a lot of you know the conversations I was having with friends outside of education. This was a big kind of water cooler topic with people saying, "Oh my God!" You know, Skynet, right? Just like you just said, yeah. like this is scary. It's and, an Elon Musk fever dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and <laughs> you know, a lot of the news at that moment was about. Um, just that, you know, how, how scary this was. Yeah. And, um, you know, almost nobody, you know, in my college class, I asked my students about this. They're like, yeah, that was crazy. And then I, I asked them, you know, do you know what happened with that? And you know, one of the things that happened with it is that it turns out it wasn't scary at all. Anybody who works in machine learning and doing, you know, uh, language processing with AI says this is totally common. And the mm. reason the engineers unplugged it was because it was a waste of time. Oh, okay. The machines were off task. <laughs> there was no fear of Skynet. They they just said, you know, like we just didn't set up the rules properly. And so they broke the, you know, didn't weren't doing what they were doing because they didn't know what the rules were. And the humans corrected it and restarted the experiment. And uh, 
you know, we, we can get you the Snopes article in, in the uh, show notes, but I think it, it goes with the reason I wanted to bring it up was that there's a notion um, around, I think, information literacy and who needs it. Mm. And so my dig it or ditch it for you guys is around the prevailing notion of how much educators, and we'll go ahead and name it, particularly liberal educators, need to be upping their game on digital and information literacy. Dig hmm. it or ditch it. Well, I mean, I'm digging anything that's that's digital literacy and teaching our kids the realities of the, the world that they live in. I talked a lot in my class even about how Google knows everything about you, even them in some cases, because of the information that their parents are providing. Uh, I remember hearing once that a, a Google engineer say that their goal, straight up their goal as a company is the Star Trek computer. Like when they when they try to model like what they want out of AI and the Internet of Things and Google Home and and, you know, OK, Google, blah, blah, blah. It's it's they want the Star Trek computer. And I'm all for that. I I I am fine with it. Uh, I protect my identity in the ways that I need to protect it for the things that I'm worried about. But, you know, what's a small example like ads for example you're gonna see ads whether you like it or not it's the way that a lot of the internet functions i'd rather my students um you know have ads or, or promotions tailored to them than seeing something about knitting for example on facebook if you're if you're if you're just gonna see these random crummy ads you know you might as well see ads that are are tailored to you and i just want my kids to know that this is the world kind of that they live in whether kind of you like it or not and you should protect you know yourself and your 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 identity and your personal information but just be aware be smart about you know what you're sharing and and where you are and, and who you're with in terms of uh your presence online uh, i i i kind of never i never held anything behind a curtain for them i i kind of just talked to them about the way it is and and how it's how it's going to be potentially in their future because um, some of it's exciting and some of it's scary and they should know both i i'm also going to dig it but i wanted to include that even myself i find that a lot of the decisions a lot of the things that i believe i actually know i don't know <laughs> and it's especially related to this topic digital literacy in itself and it's because we have these like perceptions and some of them are based in fantasy worlds like sci-fi and whatever it might be because we believe that something is is what it is but it really isn't as what you just finished saying and i really don't even want to take the time to figure out whether or not it is the truth instead a lot of the times and i'm very uh guilty of this i just pass on that same message and that's that's a problem that's a huge problem that's that's an issue that we all have that we have currently right now uh, we see something we believe it instantaneously and we don't even take the time to whether or not this is true or not we're mm -hmm. we're we're way down that road already and ready are emotionally charged and like ah, fired up or whatever it might be and it's yeah. it's really uh a, a lot of the things obviously aren't the way that we believe that they are, but uh, someone who is, uh, you know, uh, let's call them like, you know, the Russian bots or whoever might be out there. It doesn't even have to be just them. 
know exactly how to drive our emotions first, like get to our emotions. And then that way we have no sanity about trying to go figure out something. And then when it's, what's funny about it too, Noah, once we figure out what it is, we never go back and go, oh, my bad. I'm sorry. (laughs) Or we never go out and go say, you know what? Not only am I bad, but I need to like fix this and I need to stop, you know, with this thing. But the next thing that comes up, it'll be something emotionally charged. It'll hit my soul, whatever it might be. And I'm like hundred miles per hour down the road. And that's the things that I, that I need to fix for myself. And I know other, like just as a society, we need to fix too. Um, so for sure, I, I can totally get what you're talking about. Yes. You, you know, you, you make a great point on the on the correcting the record, right? That, you know, the, the front page of whatever, whether it's the New York Times or, or the New York Post, you know, there's a front page article. The correction is a tiny little box on page three. Yes. Right? That, that sure nobody, yep. even if they do correct the record, it's definitely not as prominent. So we don't we don't correct. And a great example is, you know, that you brought up, Glenn, with, with Russian bots. And Mike, you were talking about Facebook and collecting information is Cambridge Analytica. Yeah. You know, either you guys have strong feelings or, or think, think you know what the main takeaway is of Cambridge Analytica, because I know I did. And I just learned that I was way off. That, mm. You know, I, the, the, there were facts that were right there that I didn't know about. Like, you know, before Cambridge Analytica was, you know, in the general election, it was in the primary. They were working for Ted Cruz. Mm. And that the real story wow. is that actually they were collecting all this information and it was completely useless. Wow. That the, big, yeah. that the biggest scam of Cambridge Analytica wasn't that they, you know, stole the election, is that they convinced everybody that they did, that actually their data was of was... no utility whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I think that this is, you know, for me, what, what really triggers where, you know, I need to, you know, ditch my notion of who needs digital literacy and information literacy more than everybody else, that mm. it's actually all of us. And yeah. I, I think that there's a real hubris right now in, in certain circles of, you know, thinking it's for other people. You know, I think there's yeah. a lot of examples every single day for most of us of where, you know, who needs it? all of us yeah mm-hmm. no totally mm-hmm. totally agree 100 percent agree um fellas let's let's go to a little lighter topic here on dig it or <laughs> ditch it going back to a previous episode on arvr in edu dig it or ditch it focusing on vr more than ar in schools Ooh, i would say i'm gonna ditch it i'll come in first mike augmented reality is and and we did discuss this on the on the episode uh, a bit is that it's really accessible right now. And I'm talking about financially. If you have a device, and it can even be a phone, you can do augmented reality. On the flip side, virtual reality is a really exciting space, but it's so, it, to me, it's by so far down the road, I mean at least five years down the road, it feels like to me, before devices are at a price point where school districts will be able to invest heavily in it and be able to go with uh, professional development that actually goes with it. Even the programs themselves, and that's what I was asking Mike, how many educational applications are there right now in virtual reality? And I think they're still in the experimentation stage. And and they're still in the, let's call it the beta stage. You know, they're still working on this stuff. They're st- the, 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 the hardware is amazing. The programs and those types of things isn't flooded with the market of of specific educational uh, applications. And augmented reality is. There's tons of applications out there, and you know, basically, the reason why I would say is that if you already have a phone or an iPad, 
you already can do augmented reality. It's easier. It's accessible. And that's the reason why I would say I, I would ditch it. I'm a hard ditch on this. Like, hard, hard <laughs> ditch on this. Uh, and I love VR. Don't get me wrong. He's a VR I, guy. Am- <laughs> VR is amazing. I know. I'm really surprised by you on this one, Mike. I thought you were going to be the VR defender. <laughs> no, not on this. I mean, I'm a hard ditch on this. AR is everywhere. It's so easy to do AR at school. It's so easy to do it in the classroom. It's accessible. If you have uh, iPads in your classroom, if you have iPad, a cart of iPads, you have AR, a whole set of AR devices. If you're just a teacher and you have a phone, you have an AR device that you can then pop out and use with your kids anytime you want to do almost anything you want. If you find a walmart on boxing day when they're selling merge cubes for a dollar (laughs) oh oh, that's a canadian thing boxing day is december 26th the day after christmas i I knew um, that i would just say that yeah yeah it's the canadian black friday basically it was new learning for me i'll admit it i'm lacking in my northern culture there you go. <laughs> Boxing Day is the Canadian Black Friday. It's the day after Christmas. Everyone gets up ridiculously stupid early on the 26th of December and goes shopping. At the day um, after you received gifts, you guys go oh, shopping? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's lineups. It's actually pretty dumb. Okay. But if you go to a Walmart and, you know, you see merge cubes that are on sale for like a dollar at Walmart, you can literally buy a whole class set of merge cubes for under 30 bucks. Mm. It is... I mean, and those there's a an entirely gigantic ecosystem of apps inside Merge for free that you can then use. Uh, I I think it would be almost irresponsible to prioritize VR over AR if you're a teacher. Now that being said, VR is unbelievable. It's just so expensive to do well and to do even in a quantity that is a class size. Uh, And there are, frankly, not a lot of applications available just yet. Um, There are some great applications that are, but the the critical mass is not there yet for VR at school, other than in in some specific applications like maybe game design or in particular, uh, I'm thinking like social studies and and doing like museum tours and stuff like that. There's some really fun applications there. Um, But I I take AR over VR um, any day at school right now. And this might be one of our first enthusiastic ditch, 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 Um, you know, and and, and, uh, you know, I I honestly hadn't really thought about it from the access point of view that Mm. you both addressed. I, I think that, you know, if anything, at the teacher level right now, most of the talk, most of the PD, most of the really accessible kind of easy ways to get started, like a Google Expeditions, are more in the VR space, right? Mm. And and I think that that's why we're seeing perhaps the kind of prioritization of VR to where I think there's a lot of classrooms that are using VR where, you know, the teacher is kind of, you know, just unaware of AR to this point. And I think that, um, you know, for, for me, I think it's also about, you know, consumer versus production centered activities. I mm. think that right there's I plenty like of room for producers, students to be producers in VR, but most of what we're seeing right now is as consumers. I think that when we look at AR, there's a whole lot more opportunity for students to be producers. I think that with the rollout of 5G, 
um, accessibility is going to just blow up with AR that for, and, mm-hmm. and just, uh, you know, the processors inside of our phones. I think that, you know, those two things between 5G and, and our microprocessors, we're, we're going to see a, a, just an explosion of AR. And, you know, the other thing is, I think, you know, when we talk about relevance and we talk about authenticity, authenticity and real world relevance, right, to future jobs. I mean, as we think about the jobs that don't yet exist, that our students are going to be realizing successful futures doing, I think a whole lot of them are going to be in the AR ecosystems and that, you know, the more we're preparing students in school, you know, that the better we're giving them a head start for, for those futures when they enter the quote unquote real world. Yeah. I, I do see a very rad VR future for us though. Like, I think, I think, especially for people who haven't experienced it, go try to find a way to experience VR. It'll blow your freaking mind. It is, <laughs> it is so, I love VR. It's amazing. I'm definitely with you. I, I think it's really cool. And I think that just for the, for the practical, you know, easy, just pathway to seeing this is how this relates to, to jobs that, that, you know, for anybody who's ever seen Minority Report, mm. You know, that just a lot of that stuff in that movie is stuff that pretty much is technology that we can do today. I mean, not the eyeball stuff, yeah. but, you know, where he's yeah. walking through the, the you know, mall and it knows who he is and he's able to interact, you know, that this sort of mixed reality. Yes. It seems so futuristic just a few years ago, you know, that that future is today for the most part 100%. with yep. these AR tools and they are affordable and accessible in schools right now. Nice. Yep. Love it, man. All right, fellas, for our last dig it or ditch it of this month's segment, you know, th- th- this is ripped from the Edu Twitter headlines. Oh, um, <laughs> Twitter. Good friend of anyone who's in uh, teaching and learning, Sarah Thomas, at Sarah the Teacher. Um, Sarah Thomas had a situation where Twitter erased all of her followers, or uh-huh. all of the people whom she was following, you know, to the tune of, of some tens of thousands of people who she's now having to go back and refollow. And she was getting flooded with messages saying, hey, how come you unfollowed me? And she's like, I didn't. Twitter unfollowed you. <laughs> and at the same time, Brutal. you know, we, we've also noticed, right, people who we follow who all of a sudden are no longer following us. Mm. Oh, baby. Oh, the mic is going to be hot on this one. He's, he's already getting hot. other teachers. <laughs> Dig it or ditch it. Listen, I want to um, talk to everyone I can possibly talk to. I scan my news feed multiple times an hour, and I, I'm engaging in... I am engaging in conversation with a lot of different people, and I love doing that. But I've... I am... You know, when these people there, there are I've had a number of specific experiences that have just absolutely blown my mind in Edu Twitter. And I'm going to give you two. The first one is people who follow you. Okay, Okay. they follow you. And then a couple hours or a couple (laughs) days later, they unfollow you because they're looking for the follow back. They're looking for you to follow them. And then they go and unfollow you. And I think that that is absolutely insane. It's it's. It's exactly the problem with Edu Twitter, and I'm not playing the game with them. So you know, if you want to follow me and you want me to follow you back, and you want to you know talk with me or work together or engage each other, I'm all for it. If you look at my follower count, I'm following almost every single person that follows me, and if I'm not, it's an honest mistake. If I'm not following you back, it's an accident, not intentional. If I know you're a teacher, I'm following you. And I literally will scroll through my timeline, uh, my followers list, and look for people who are following me. And if I'm not following them back, I will intentionally, I will follow them back. 
I do that, you know, regularly, once or twice uh, a week at least. So I'm following people back. The second scenario is a little more personal, and it's and this one makes me really angry. Is I had someone who I was, I thought I was actually friends with in real life, a person that I knew, who was trying to break into the education space as as in a, from another um, from another industry. And this person we had met, we talked, we were going to work together. We had a lot of great ideas, and then this person unfollowed me and sent me a ridiculous message about, you know, unfollowing people um, because they didn't, you know, resonate with her or whatever. And but the same person still follows a bunch of other people that are in my circle. So it, it, maybe it was personal. Maybe I, I have no idea. <laughs> but I find that the same person, though, and I'm, I'm specifically being not gender specific and whatever, but this exact same person posts on Twitter constantly about amplifying voices, about sharing, about caring about people, about being a good person on Twitter, about being nice and friendly and about, you know, being uh, diverse and equitable <laughs> and all of this other great stuff that she's actually, oops, <laughs> all this great stuff. And they're full of it. They are absolutely full of it. It's an act. And it's pissed me off. So there is your freaking hot take for today on Dig It or Ditch It. I'm out. I, I figured Mike would get riled up. And Mike, you said dig, but he. the question is uh, the concept. I'm unfollowing yeah. people who unfollow me in specific situations. I don't know if I'm digging or ditching. I'm just pissed off now. Okay. That's totally fine. So I'm, I'm also ditching it. The only reason I would actually unfollow someone else is if they were, as I've said before, that if they were harassing me uh, or others, or they were just being inappropriate in some way, um, and then I would definitely unfollow them. Uh, there are some people, though, and I told this to Mike the other day as I was as I was looking through this app called Unfollow, um, and where it lets you mass unfollow people, and basically it'll identify anybody that's not following you that you are following them. And a whole bunch of it was actually just corporations, Mike. Uh, for me, it wasn't actually people. So some company was trying to do that trick that you're talking about. Uh, whatever, you know, book company or this company or whatever it might be, they followed me, I press follow, you know, I followed them back. And then eventually at some point, I didn't even notice, whatever it might be, uh, they stopped uh, following me because happens they're, all the time. they're accumulating basically their, their followers. Yep. Uh, if some person does that, that's pretty hardcore. I mean, that's some, that's, and it's, I mean, eventually... Uh, you're right, Mike, as far as calling someone <laughs> out on it, though, I could see where someone is just tired, too, of uh, of all of the tweets that might come through, because I've actually had some people tell uh, say that where they stop following someone because they just have too many. So their whole thread, they, they look at Twitter in a different way than I do. I don't I would never look at my whole thread because they would just be running thread. I look at yeah. specific people or hashtags or whatever it might be in tweet deck. I'm not looking at my thread. I would be there for days. I would never be able to read all the stuff there. But they are looking at it in that way. And I tweet, I don't know how many times per day, but it's a lot. And so it would it would be annoying if you had me on there and it, I would be filling your whole entire timeline. I might unfollow me in that case. I would just tell someone, 
and and if it, that's the case to you may not want to use Twitter in that fashion. It's actually a lot easier to go ahead and just go ahead and look at those specific hashtags. That way you can kind of filter out all the, the garbage that you're not really interested in. And then also follow specific people. Maybe put them on your columns inside of TweetDeck as, as I do for you guys, for example. And I'm looking at those things, Batch Summit and ISTE, things that I am interested in, in right now and the interactions and conversations that I want to have. Uh, but th- Mike, that's hilarious. <laughs> I'm just not playing the game anymore. It's a game to some of these people, and I'm not for it. Yeah, it's about respect, and I I respect people enough that if they follow me and they they think I'm saying something that's worth listening to, I want to hear what they're saying too. And so I follow you back. And it's if it's a game to you, then let's play the game, buddy. And it's also different too. Before Noah jumps in, I I believe that people don't distinguish Twitter from Facebook, and I think you should. That's what I think. Uh, on Facebook, oh, I totally do. On They're Facebook, I'm telling separate. you right now, I've blocked tons of my family members. <laughs> <laughs> I've not only unfriended them, I've blocked them because I just don't want to hear those specific conversations on what I consider to be my family and friends uh, avenue, you know, type of thing. So if you're throwing down the the anti-immigrant, whatever it might be, and you're talking yeah. trash. I've tried to have conversations on uh, the Facebook medium, and that is never – it's never a positive thing. It always comes out – everybody's hot on both sides. And so I've just found that it's, it's, a, it's actually better for our family <laughs> for me to yeah. just block you. I'm, and then pretend that I don't know all of the things that you are <laughs> uh, spreading and whatever it might be. I get and that it. you don't know what I, you know, you don't get mad at the things that I'm posting about and the things that I'm passionate about. So uh, I think they're two different, way different mediums. So you don't have to, to do what you do as far as on Facebook and those kinds of things. The, I consider that to be more of like, it is a friend. You know, that's that's actually yeah. a, a yep. more appropriate phase, um, uh, phrase, sorry. Uh, and in Twitter, it's it's basically an association. I would call it, you know, I want to associate, but some of them are powerful, much more than an association. I think they're part of, you know, when people say PLN, awesome, you know, as, as far as being able to grow that too. So there's my take. That That is really awesome. You definitely have pushed my thinking around just how to view those two mediums intentionally differently. I think a lot of us um, treat them differently by default and just through our actions. I, I know I personally have never really thought about it intentionally the way you just described. Um, I, I'm definitely with you guys both on, on ditching. And, you know, you, we brought up several different use cases. And I think it is worth kind of distinguishing that, you know, someone who's saying things that offend us is one thing on unfollow. I think, mm-hmm. you know, the other situation that, that we, you know, sort of touched on is the person who is more going through and unfollowing a bunch of the people who follow them as a way of, you know, creating the appearance of a ratio, you know, ratio, ratio. there's this influencer, playing the game, right. And, and, you know, the, the, and it it just feels icky to me. Um, You know, I think a lot of people will do it under the guise of, and, and, you know, I had a good friend who, you know, I'm real Facebook friends with, right. I'm friends with not just Twitter friends with who, who, when this person did it, he said, you know, he tweeted, you know, this is too much noise for me. I'm going through and really just, you know, unfollowing everybody and rebuilding who I follow based on the voices I most want to hear. And, you know, I, I'm just going to call BS on, on that approach. I really think that, that that's not genuine 
because the fact is if you really wanted to do that, the way easier way to do it would just be to build a list. Yeah. And it's way more work for you to go through and unfollow Big a bunch time. of people and refollow them than to just build a list that you want to see. You know, like I, I am with you, Glenn. I don't go straight to my home feed. I start uh, on a Twitter list every morning called Start Here. Yes. <laughs> nice. And, see, I don't I don't have a list and I'm now I'm thinking about making one. Yeah, and I should too. Actually, I follow specific hashtags of people but i don't do that list i'm gonna do that that's that's a good idea noah and, and you know here's why it bugs me you know because there is a part of me that i will totally admit you know it hurts my feelings hmm. right it, that I'll, I'll be honest right like anybody who says they don't look at the numbers i don't care about that is is somebody who either is coming from a privileged place of just having so many numbers it doesn't matter if there's a fluctuation <laughs> or they're, they're full of it, right? Yes. And so I'll admit it hurts my 100%. feelings when I see that somebody ha- has unfollowed me and it looks like it's totally ra- ratio motivated, right? But honestly, like the bigger reason is that I don't think it's good for the profession. Mm. You know that if there's another teacher who all of a sudden has one less follower, right? That, 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 and that's your fault. Like, I just don't see how you're helping the profession. Going back to Mike's point about amplification, about celebrating the profession and shining a light on other people, you've just, you know, you know, taken a chip out out of that armor there. And I I think that's just not okay. A hundred percent agree. So friends, that was dig it or ditch it. There was some hot takes. There was some lukewarm takes. There was some other takes, some (laughs) some angry takes, I suppose. Uh, This is coming out in June, but we will be back at the end of June as well with another dig it or ditch it. We hope you enjoyed it. And uh, thanks for listening. Do you have plans to attend the ISTE conference this summer? Come one day early and participate in the best hidden gem conference in the United States. Badge Summit 2019 will take place on the Temple University campus in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on June 22nd. There will be lots of wicked smart educators to collaborate with on topics such as digital badges, credentials, gamification, and more. To learn more about Badge Summit, simply visit bit.ly slash badge summit.